What's amazing about the salvation that we have in Christ is that God knew everything about us and still wanted us to be his own. He knew all of our failings, all of our struggles. He knew all the ways that we fall short so easily. And yet he still said, you know what? I want that one. I want to give them a plate at my table. I want to put Christmas under the Christmas tree for them. You've probably heard the saying, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. And it's true. You don't have a choice about blood relatives for good or for bad. Adopting someone, on the other hand, is deliberately making a person a part of your family. Pastor Daniel will teach about Jacob adopting Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He will explain the significance of this act and Jacob's prophecies about these brothers. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 48 as he begins his message, Adoption of Joseph's Sons. Let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 48 as we continue and are about to close on out. Our study here in the book of Genesis, we're in our third series that we've been calling Brothers. And so we should be finishing this. We'll do chapter 48 this week, 49 the following week, and then 50. So three more weeks, and then we'll be moving into the book of Exodus. And what's interesting about this last part of the book of Genesis is it actually is tying up all of the loose ends. If you remember when we began the patriarch's narrative with Abraham and then Isaac and now Jacob, that I made the point that when God called Abraham, the theme of the book of Genesis is God, the people, and the land. God who called to himself a people and a land that he promises to give them. And what you have going on in Genesis 48, 49, and 50 is a reiteration of the promises. The theme of these chapters is blessing. First, in this chapter, we're going to see blessing for Joseph's house, and specifically his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. In chapter 49, we see the blessings of the whole of the 12 tribes of Israel, as each one of Jacob's sons receives a blessing and a prophecy. And then finally, in chapter 50, the book ends with the theme of God's blessing. So this concept of blessing is closing out the book of Genesis. Now, don't miss this, though. Blessing is coming and being spoken while the family is in Egypt. A severe famine's in the land. And because of this famine and because of Joseph's rise to power by the purposes and foreordained plans of God, because of this, they end up in Egypt, which is setting the stage for the story and the Exodus narrative. But don't miss that blessing comes in exile. You know, and we have to remember that, that God is still God, even when circumstances do not seem to be favorable. And that is the hope of a Christian. Anybody can be happy when all things are well, when all things are looking up. 
you don't need to have faith in God. When circumstances are good, then things are good. But what separates those who trust in the true and living God and those who do not is when things don't go the way that we'd like it to, that Christians still have hope because God never changes. Because God is on the throne. No matter what's going on, God is God all the time. He never stops being God. He never falls asleep. He never falls down on the job. He never slacks at the job. God is on the throne every moment of every day. And that is what separates the people who believe in God from the people who do not. Is that we know that God is sovereign, that God is in control. And this is what's exactly going on in the book of Genesis. Jacob is no longer in the land. Remember at the end of chapter 47, he had Joseph promise, whatever you do, don't bury me here in Egypt. I want to be married in the cave of Machpelah with Abraham and with Isaac. I want my bones to rest in the land of promise, even though I'm going to die in the land of Egypt. Speaks of the hope that Jacob had. Now, let's jump right in. Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. Now, it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now, Jacob is nearing death. He's at the end of his life. Joseph finds out about this, and he goes to see his father, and he brings along his sons. Now, I want to make a quick point about this, because one of the things that is so interesting, when you think about the church's mandate to make disciples... Jesus, when he went to do his earthly ministry, could have just done the work. But what he chose to do was invite 12 guys along with him. And they learned from him as they were on the way. Now, Joseph could have just gone to see his dad by himself, but he chose to bring his sons along. And I want to encourage you, because we talk so much about investing in people, about having a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy, somebody who you're investing in their life. I want to encourage you, bring people along with you as you do life. Those of you who've been around the block a number of times, I encourage you gals to get younger gals and bring them along as you're going through life and explain to them what you're doing. You older gentlemen, find younger guys and bring them along. That is how a godly life is understood. I've heard it said that true Christianity is caught more than it is taught. 
And I like this, that Joseph could have just gone to see his dad on his own, but instead he brings his sons with him. And we're going to see that there's going to be a purpose in that. But one of the ways discipleship happens is for us to bring people along with us on the path of life. We invite them along. They get to experience. That's exactly how the disciples learned, right? Jesus definitely didn't need them there to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to multiply the loaves and the fishes, but he had those disciples there. And they learned the ways of God by watching the ways of the master. And I love the apostle Paul says in some of his letters, we didn't just preach the gospel to you. We didn't just share the gospel. We shared our very lives with you. And I believe that in our culture, where things have become so isolated with technology and things, that it's one of the lost arts in Western society, the ability to bring people along with you. You know, my grandmother, I've talked about her a lot. My grandma can cook like nobody's business. If we didn't like her food so much, we would have had her open a restaurant. We got rich on her skills. But we wanted all that food for ourselves, you know. Didn't want to share what grandma was making. I'm just being honest. You know, you can pray for me. I just, you know, I would, I would have shared, but, I, you know, it's just really good and didn't want her to be too tired. But, you know, what's amazing is my mom was also a great cook. And I say, Mom, where did you learn how to cook? Well, I just watched grandma all the time. You know, my mom, just like my grandma, couldn't get a recipe to save your life from her. She said, I'll just put a little garlic in, a little basil, a little oregano, pretty much on everything. You know, I'm Italian, so... <laughs> How much? Oh, just a, you know, a little, you know, a little bit. My mom learned how to cook because she followed my grandma around when my grandma was doing it. My grandma learned how to cook from her mom. That's the way Christianity has learned as well. It's caught from other people as you watch people live their lives of faith. And I like that. Joseph's bringing his sons to go see his dad. Didn't have to do it. They don't even need to be there. But he brings them anyway. But notice, Jacob's sick, Joseph and his sons come, and we find at the end of verse 2, it says, and Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you, and Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. I like this. Oftentimes, just a visit will encourage somebody. Jacob could have been laying there, but when he knew Joseph was coming, he gathered his strength together and he sat on up. Shows the power of relationship, what relationships do for people. So it's beautiful here. Now, look at what happens. In verse 3, Jacob begins to recount God's promises to his son Joseph. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. You see, right in these verses, just a few verses, we get God, the people in the land. God Almighty appeared to me. And he said, I'm going to bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and you'll be a great multitude. So there's God, there's the people, and then notice, and give you this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. You see those words? You know what everlasting means? It means everlasting. So when you read something like that in the book of Genesis, this is why people who believe the Bible has always felt that the nation of Israel, the land, is for them. Because God gave them what? An everlasting possession. 
And when we see the word everlasting, we think everlasting means everlasting. But notice right there, God appeared. It's God, the people, and the land. God, the people, and the land. Right there. But Jacob now goes on, and notice what he says in verse 5. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. Wow. You see what goes on here. Jacob tells his son Joseph, your sons Ephraim and Manasseh who were born in Egypt before I got here, I'm going to adopt them. They're going to be mine. Now, you might ask yourselves, what is the significance of this? First, I want to read you 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthrights. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, though the birthright was Joseph's. So you notice what they say in Chronicles. They say that Jacob adopted Joseph's sons and Joseph's sons take the place of Reuben and Simeon because of their transgressions. So if you remember, previously we found out that Reuben had slept with his father's concubine and he was the firstborn, he lost that. Then Simeon and Levi, they lost their right to the throne because of the Dinah incident when they went and they killed the Shechemites. So part of what's going on here is Jacob is filling in his family based on the transgressions of the sons. But what's also interesting about this is, remember in the New Testament when Jesus chose 12 disciples or apostles? Why did he choose 12? Well, there was 12 sons of Jacob. And then all sorts of people make a big deal. Because remember in Acts chapter 1, where when Judas committed suicide, they added another one named Matthias. And we don't really know anything about Matthias other than the fact that he got added in Acts chapter 1. We don't know anything about him. But then, of course, you have the Apostle Paul, who shows up later, who is an apostle made not by man or through men. What's interesting is that there's really 13 apostles, and with the addition of Joseph's two sons, there's really 13 tribes of Israel. And for those of you who like Bible trivia, it's very fascinating because in all the lists of the sons of Israel, the children of Israel, you'll always find 12 names. And sometimes Joseph is named, sometimes Ephraim and Manasseh are named. And it's interesting when you find that, like things like the Levites, one of the sons of Jacob, when they went into the land, the Levites didn't get a territory because they got land in every city because of their priestly function. So when you're talking about the division of land, it always says Ephraim and Manasseh instead of Joseph, and the Levites are left out because they didn't get a territory. They got land all over the place. So it's just a fascinating piece of the way the Bible sits together that there's 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 disciples, but actually there's really 13 of both. So when people get all crazy about, oh, in Acts chapter 1, Matthias wasn't really supposed to be an apostle, I say, well, actually, I think he probably was. Because just as there was 12 sons of Jacob, but there's really 13 tribes, Jesus chose 12 apostles, but there really ended up being 13. So it's just a fascinating piece of information. But what I love about this 
Jacob adopts Joseph's sons. And the idea of adoption is a big biblical concept. Because when you think about what adoption is, as it existed thousands of years ago and as it exists today, it's one thing to be born to a family. It's another thing for a family to choose you to be their own. Now, that is amplified when we come to the settled understanding that God knows everything about us and still adopts us into his own family. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, of bondage, but he gave us a spirit of adoption. And I think what's amazing about this salvation that we have in Christ is that God knew everything about us and still wanted us to be his own. He knew all of our failings, all of our struggles. He knew all the ways that we fall short so easily. And yet he still said, you know what? I want that one. I want to give them a plate at my table. I want to put Christmas under the Christmas tree for them. I want to call them my own and give them my own name. Now, I don't know about you, but that's mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing when, you know, like, I love my kids, you know? And they were born, I saw them when they first came out, and they looked cute then, and they get cute each successive year, and they're mine. And as they're growing up, I'm loving it. I'm having a blast. But it's a whole other thing to know a child's rap sheet and still say, I want that child to be part of my family. That's a whole other story. And that's exactly what God did for you and for me in Christ if you were born again. He knows everything, and yet he says, I want you to be mine. And that is such a humbling and beautiful thing that the Lord would choose you and I and all who would believe. That's what makes the gospel so amazing. God wasn't under any illusions about who we were. He knows exactly who we are, and he loves us right where we are. And he chooses us right where we are. So he adopts Ephraim and Manasseh as his own. He says, any more kids you have, they're yours. But these two guys are mine. It's beautiful. Now, in verse 7, he kind of closes out his story here. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. You got to realize that Joseph was Rachel's firstborn, so Ephraim and Manasseh were part of her family tree, and we just find out again that Rachel died on her way to the land, and she died in Bethlehem. Now, we all know where is Bethlehem is the Hebrew word bait and lechem, slammed together. Bait means house, lechem means bread. So Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. You might say, well, why are you telling me that? Well, who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus, the bread of life, born in the house of bread. I didn't write this stuff, I'm just telling you. That's pretty amazing. Thousands of years 
Bethlehem's called Bethlehem, the house of bread. Why? Because that's where the bread of life's going to be born, Jesus Christ. I love how these things tie together. Now, as we get into verse 8, something that we've seen often in the book of Genesis, but we see it again here, starts to happen. Look. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees And he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, For Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has led me all my life long to this day, the angel who redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." Now, fascinating here. Jacob just adopted these guys, and he didn't even realize that they were in the room. Do you notice that? He's talking to Joseph. He doesn't, he's like, who are these guys who are here? Fascinating. Jacob didn't even realize that they were there. Because that's exactly how this begins in verse 8. When Israel saw the two sons, who are these? Joseph's like, these are my sons. I mean, you can almost imagine Joseph just being like, man, my dad's struggling right now. He adopted the guys. He didn't even know that they were there. And then he realized there are people there. Who's this? You know, if it was me, I'd be like, dad, this is the guys you just adopted. Come on. But it's interesting. He says, these are my sons. And Jacob says to him, listen, bring them so that I can bless them. And we're reminded in verse 10, that Jacob's eyes were dim with age and he could not see them. And Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and he embraced them. I love this. There's something beautiful about that the Bible includes what would seem to be such trivial information that he embraces them and kisses them. And the reason I bring that up is because there's something powerful about touch. I mean, if you read or study developmental psychology, you find out that Touch is essential for basic childhood development. And I know in the Bible it says we greet each other with a holy kiss. We only ask you guys to hug on each other here. And listen, I say that in jest, but I also realize that some people have gotten really hurt in life and they're kind of scared of touch. Jesus is Pastor Daniel taught today about the time that Jacob takes to tell of his encounter with God and how God gave Jacob the name Israel. We were reminded of the importance of knowing the story of our family's God encounters and how they're like signposts showing where we came from and what the right direction is to get to where God wants us to go. This is important to pass down our story to our children and grandchildren. 
Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel continues his teaching, Adoption of Joseph's Sons. You're going to hear the story of Jacob's adoption of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Pastor Daniel will talk about the significance of this action and the consequences it will have for the people of Israel. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.